You're listening to the Jay's Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Ari Shapiro, and on tonight's roundtable, from the Levy Institute, Marshall Auerbach. From Jay's Journal, our very own site expert, Chris Henderson, and the founder and CEO of She's Four Sports, Ainka Jess, is on the Jay's Journal roundtable. We've got a fantastic show lined up for you. Before we get straight to the roundtable, I'd like to talk about some of the articles that are trending on jaysjournal.com that you should check out at www.jaysjournal.com. Uh, first of all, we've got Clayton Richet, our other site expert, has published a, a mitt full of articles the way he always does. The man's a machine. I don't know what it is. He just eats, uh, sleeps, drinks, Blue Jays. You know, his kids love the Blue Jays, his whole family. He's probably listening to this and nodding and while eating some kind of dessert that looks like a Toronto Blue Jays emblem. I don't know. With him, I never know. But I know one thing. You should check out some of his great work. He's written an article focusing on why the Blue Jays should focus their attention on you, Darvish as well as one where he does an analysis on whether or not Troy Tulowitzki can harness some of the success he had when he was with the Colorado Rockies. Uh, later on in the show, I'm going to call it a bit of a fairy tale, but then what do I know? Sometimes fairy tales can come true, or at least also turn into a grim fairy tale, but we won't even go there. Uh, Chris Henderson, who is on the show tonight, has written a couple of articles you should check out, including why we shouldn't cry over the Shohei Otani sweepstakes. As of this taping, I can tell you that... Uh, with great regret, I can tell you that uh, Shohei Otani will not be coming to Toronto to apply his mercurial craft and, and fulfill his prophecy as the Japanese Babe Ruth. Um, but there are legitimate reasons for it. And as fans, I think we should take a close look at what we are to better understand what was going through his mindset before he took the Blue Jays out of the running for his services. Chris Henderson also checks out why the Diaz trade frees up more money that should give fans some encouragement in thinking what the Blue Jays' next step will be on the free agent marketplace. And that's important because even though so far it's been more or less radio silence, you've got to figure that they're up to something. You've got to believe that there's going to be an effort, if not to go after a big fish, but maybe some really nice, sizable mid-tier trouts, carps, bass. I don't know, I'm not a fisherman, but I've got a feeling that it's not a bad thing to come back with a haul of three or four key players that can upgrade positions. That's what happened with Ryan Gones, and that was a utility-slash-backup position. Let's see what happens if the Blue Jays target bona fide second baseman, outfielders, and starting pitchers, and where that might fit in in the grand scheme of things. So those are just some of the great articles that we have right now trending at the Jays Journal website. Be sure to check it out. And without further delay, let's go straight to this fantastic roundtable that targets everything that's going on the field itself, as well as beyond. And, of course, there have been some controversies, including what happened recently with Greg Zahn. So let's take a closer look at what's happening tonight on the roundtable here on the Jays Journal podcast. Thanks for tuning in. My guests this evening, as I mentioned, are Marshall Auerbach, Ainka Jess, and Chris Henderson. I want to throw us in by starting a question related to something that's been in a lot of people's minds. So Marcus Stroman came out today uh, with a tweet that's getting some notoriety. There's already controversy. He didn't like the fact that the Blue Jays management failed to inform him that his uh, close friend, maybe even best friend on the team, would not be coming back. And he put hashtag communication, implying that, once again, the front office is doing its own thing and the players are kind of left to pick up the pieces of any de decisions that are made. I want to start with you, Chris. How do you interpret that? And should we be taking sides that the Blue Jays management should be doing more to keep their players in the loop or that their players should be a, have a little more fortitude and not be so sensitive when it comes to the nature uh, or the business of baseball? Yeah, and you know what? You kind of hit the nail on the head for me. I've got uh, two quick opinions on that. First, um, you know, Marcus Stroman is the kind of guy that, that I think the Blue Jays are going to build this, this team and this franchise around. So you want to make sure that you're doing whatever it, whatever it is, the small intangible things that keep him happy. You know, you see what happens with LeBron James in the NBA, and, and it, he tells the Cavaliers or whoever employs him to sign somebody or to trade for somebody, they just do it. And uh, not that Stroman is on that level, but uh, there's an, I can understand why maybe there was an argument to be made for that they should have let him know if they knew that he had a close relationship or just for the sake of, of, keep, of just maintaining the relationship with him. On the other hand, though, this is a business, and he mm -hmm. needs to understand that, and he also needs to leave that off of social media, if you ask me. Uh, I'm a huge Marcus Stroman fan, 
and it's okay to be upset when one of your teammates and your close friends gets uh, you know left off the roster going forward. That's totally normal. But uh, I don't think that uh, I didn't think it was wise of him to, to stir up controversy like that, especially given everything else that's been going on lately. You know, with with Greg Zahn and, and just the negative press that's been around the team. Uh, that wasn't necessary. I didn't think at all. No, I agree with that. I think uh, you know he. I'm a, a huge fan of, of, of Marcus Stroman as well, but I think, uh, you know, you run the risk of, you know, so do they just tell him? Do they tell other players in the team? And then there's that risk of it being leaked, right, and and then picked up. So uh, I do agree it's a business. I mean, there there's some athletes, you know, that play many different, you know, pro league sports who find out they're traded when they're on vacation or when they're doing something else. It, it's not always the, the nicest thing, but I think, uh, you know, you mentioned it's a business and it works around that framework. So, I don't think that they should have told him. That's that's my opinion. Yep, I'll make it unanimous. Uh, I agree with what Jeff Blair wrote today. Uh, I don't think the Jays, Ostroman, or any player for that matter, advance warning of any move they're they're going to make. Uh, I mean, I guess when you get into the uh, um, uh, status of someone like a, a Jose Bautista, you consult with them. Uh, maybe uh, yeah. Uh, um, as, as uh, Anthopoulos did a few times a few years ago. But, but look, this is the guy who was a backup infielder. He was the 23rd man on the roster. So um, I think maybe you could make a case if it had been another pitcher or something like that, or they were making uh, some inquiries on, on pitching matters, his, his opinion might have been solicited. But I think the guy's got to you know, tone it down a bit on the uh, on the Twitter front. There's a lot of people you could say that about these days. But, uh, okay, let's, let's just keep, it, keep the politics out of it. but Marshall shouldn't we be more concerned about Marcus Stroman in this equation and whether I mean you you mentioned we are talking about a backup infielder Ryan Gones was a utility man that developed a bit of a you know folk hero status amongst those who were tired of seeing all the injuries pile up and this year in particular he was a clutch hitter did great things but was still a negative war player but the pitcher in this equation, the one who's concerned about losing his friend, is presumably the one that we're going to build the future around. Shouldn't we give him the same courtesy today that, as you mentioned, Jose Bautista was refer- was receiving a few years ago? Well, I don't know. I mean, look, I, I mean, I, I don't think that's going to be a major factor in them uh, trying to sign him to a long-term deal, honestly. And if it is, then uh, the, the relationship is much more tenuous than... Uh, he claims because he always proclaims his love for all things in Toronto, and uh, so I, uh, frankly, I, I, I don't think it's it, it's a it's a big deal. He, from what I recall, he's also great buddies with Devin Travis. So um, look, you know, um, uh, does that mean, for example, he's he's fallen out a little bit with Aaron Sanchez? Does that mean they shouldn't uh, they don't need to con- contact him in regards to anything to do with Aaron? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think. It's he's he's overreacting a little bit, uh, and I I, I think uh, there there are many ways they can. Uh, there's probably a hundred million good ways that they could uh, make Marcus Drummond very happy. Ken, well put. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's look at it from a public relations perspective. Let's worry less about I suppose the the qualitative or subjective. Uh, thought process behind uh, should we be treating him, should the organization be treating him with more respect? Why, I think, we should ask ourselves, why are the Blue Jays having so much difficulty from a PR perspective? And maybe I'll throw this question your way, Ainka. Are you concerned that the Blue Jays are, are very much the kind of organization where the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. I mean, you look at last year with Edwin Encarnacion, the way the negotiation process was handled, it almost seemed like broken telephone from day one, where one side really didn't care at the end of the day what the other one was really planning as an end game, but was willing to do the song and dance. Are you worried that if they start doing a song and dance with Marcus Stroman, that that could have a, a, a residual effect that could either impact his performance on the field, or the future of his involvement with the organization? No, I think I agree with the the panelists that I think, you know, know, he's mentioned that, uh, you know, Ryan Goins was his close friend. I mean, if if we were all in the office and our close friend was being let go, yes, there is a human side to it. You you know, you have have feelings. But I think if he looks at the context of a business, this is what it is in in, in pro sports and and, in baseball. I'm hoping that, you know, as they move forward – they can build a strong team around him and, and, you know, acquire the right players or, you know, do what they have to do in terms of uh, beefing up the minor league to bring, uh, you know, some of the minor players from the Blue Jays 
um, you know, to playing, uh, you know, in the, in the pro league. I think if everyone's suggesting they're going to build the franchise around him, then they got to build a strong team around him. I think after this blows over, um, hopefully he'll, he'll look at it more from the, 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 the framework of this was a business decision and not that they were trying to, to you know, uh, you know, spurn him in some way or get, get at him in some way. I hope he can look at this as more of a, a business situation and not that um, they were disrespecting him or totally ignoring him. I think you really have to look at this as, as a business move, and that's how I see it. Yeah, and I and to jump on top of what the two, I think I agree with both of you. Um, you know, I agree that the two have easiest ways to keep a player happy is to win and to pay them. You know, and you each touched on those two points. And as much as Marcus doesn't like the idea of losing Ryan Gones from the roster, I bet you he'll forget about it pretty quickly if the team makes the playoffs next year, or if uh, Alemis Diaz ends up being an All Star again. I'm sure they'll probably he'll probably let it go. So you know, it's it's something that. Um, the franchise does need to work with them and try to keep them happy and try to build that kind of relationship with them, uh, you know, as a franchise type player. But uh, as, as we kind of talked about already, I, I think there's an element of uh, you need to leave that some certain things out of the media. Not everything needs to get dragged in. And in regards to your other point, uh, Ari, about ownership, look, I, I think they've sort of been on the back foot ever since, Shapiro was hired. I mean, the, the timing in one sense couldn't have been worse. It was uh, late August. The, the team was finally in the midst of playing meaningful baseball. And then, of course, um, Alex's departure, um, it upset a lot of people. And I think that, you know, I just get the sense that they've never, uh, the, uh, the ownership or management has never been able to get through that irrational uh, resentment. Well, I guess it's, it's irrational, but it's understandable. I mean, Anthopolis did a, a good job uh, for the most part, but I wouldn't say he was the second coming of Branch Rickey. He made a lot of mistakes as well. Um, and Shapiro does have a very good um, long-term record. But, you know, there's, there's an element of tone deafness. Um, you know, they, they, they um, like, you know, they, they're, they're both Americans who are much very, very much into uh, you know, the, the, the NBA buzz, buzzword type language. And I think they handled the, the Roy Halliday uh, tragedy in a rather inept fashion. But I also agree with the other points that uh, Ayinka and Chris made, which is to say that, you know, winning will solve everything. And I think, you know, these guys are still on the clock, but I think this is a very important off-season for them because I think this, and this year and next year are going to be the, the make-or-break years as far as determining whether they have you know, long-term credibility with the fan base because now is the chance to really impose or implant uh, their own vision of what the team should be like going forward. Um, they, they, they've been effectively running off the, uh, the assets from the Anthopolis regime and, and they've been rebuilding the, the farm system. But now they, I think the next couple of years is when they're really going to be, uh, it's cut or bait. And um, if they do a good job, then I think a lot of that resentment will dissipate. And you literally took that perception out of my head because I was going to ask the very next question to the three of you. I was going to ask, at what point, what needs to happen for you to look at this team and say that it officially is a Mark Shapiro, Ross Atkins uh, trending team? Because let's face it, last year we accept the fact that they inherited the Anthopolis uh, fruits of all his labor and all of his gambling and all of his decision making that led to a postseason birth followed by another postseason appearance. But this year represents, shall we say, inevitability that fans will be reaching from a credibility perspective. They're going to look at this team and finally start to look at it and say to themselves, this is truly the sum of what this new regime is trying to put together. So, Marshall, what, what needs to happen for you to say that Mark Shapiro has finally fully assumed control? Is it Josh Donaldson being dealt? Is it a big-name free agent coming in? Is it a restructuring in the way the pitching resources are used or the way that the bench is being uh, stacked so that we don't have a repeat of the fiasco that was last year, which was a team that was literally running on fumes for most of the year? Yeah, I, I well, look, the, the, for the last two years, they've said they want to get uh, younger and more athletic and more left-handed. Um, and they, well, I guess they got a little bit more left-handed when they got uh, Kendris Morales, but that obviously wasn't um, an ideal. So I think the closer they come towards uh, fulfilling or not fulfilling that the, the, um, uh, vision, I mean, that that's, I suppose, got to be the, one of the metrics you've got to judge them on. That's what they, they proclaim. I think Josh Donaldson will be a huge factor. Um, how they play that out. I mean, uh, are they going to pay him the money? It doesn't look like it. I mean, to me, they, they, 
either you, you my, in my, my opinion has always been either you, you um, trade him while he's at maximum value right now and, and secure, fill a whole bunch of holes uh, and do it this off season, or you sign him long term, accepting that he'll be, a, you know, a, a, a problem. He could well be a liability the, the last year of that contract. Um, but I think they're taking the middle road of sort of seeing how things go for uh, this year, and they might trade him in the in, in the middle of the year if they trade him at all. But then and I think also, as you say, what they do in the free agent market. I mean, frankly, I I'm less concerned about what they do in in, in the free agency market only because. I, I do believe that um, you know you've got to build a, a, an internal core of your own players first, and then you use the free agency market at the end of that that um, uh, process. I mean, a, a, I, I mentioned the Yankees in a tweet the other day and, and said, um, you know, you've got to use them as the model right now. And everyone comes saying, well, what are you talking about? Because the Yankees always sign free agents, and that's how they build their team. And actually, that's not true. If you look especially over the last five years with, with what Brian Cashman has done, he's built a young core of, of, of good young players. I mean, uh, people like Sanchez and uh, Judge are homegrown. He's made some excellent trades like getting uh, acquiring Gregorius and, and, and Castro. And only now, in the next few years, uh, I think, will, you, will they be looking to acquire some significant free agents. And I think that's the model that Toronto should be looking at. Yeah, and, and to answer your question is with regards for – you know, when is this the new front office's team? I think, I think it's in a way it's already started to happen. You know, as Blue Jays fans, we were definitely suckers for, for, you know, looking back on great memories. And uh, just the fact that the front office is, you know, walking away from the likes of Jose Batista and Ryan Gones, um, that's a huge transition in this roster. Um, and I think that we'll likely see another big piece of that transition this offseason, whether it, whether it is that impact in free agent. And you know, and I would also consider if they do sign Josh Donaldson to an extension, I consider him to now be a part of their their next group because they've already moved on from Edwin, they've moved on from Jose, they've moved on from others, and so they're they're looking at the roster they have inherited and choosing the pieces that they think they can build going forward. You know, Marco Estrada coming back for one season this year, they found value in that, um, and I think you know, 2018 and going forward, we're going to see more of their team start to to take place. Yeah, I think as a fan, I, I, we're just excited about, you know, the, the different uh, players are going to acquire, the surprises. I know um, there was a, some talk a couple weeks ago about Gifty uh, and Gope, um, and he's obviously the first, I think, South African uh, uh, pro league baseball player in the league, and that's exciting too. I mean, people are still talking about Guerrero uh, Jr., and uh, although some people might say, you know, he might not be ready to come up this year or next year, you know, like we still have prospects. And I think fans are always interested in these headlines, interesting to see what the Blue Jays are going to do. How are they going to build up this franchise again so that we're not just making it to, um, you know, the, you know, the level of, of getting to, uh, you know, somehow on, you know, up to the, the all-star game, but not really winning the world series. You know, like I, I think fans are just interested in, in these headlines. What are their moves going to, are going to be Shapiro? Like who are they going to get? And, you know, we're all waiting. We're all waiting because I think, you know, fans do have that sense. And that's why I still have colleagues who said, yeah, last year's season wasn't great, but we're still going to buy season tickets. Fans are waiting for something. And hopefully we don't have to wait too long for it. And to take it back to full circle to Marcus Stroman again, um, it would be interesting to see if they start using some of their budget to signing guys like him to longer-term deals. I think that would be a very strong signal as well. Um, you know, your core guys, locking them up. And Shapiro did that a lot in Cleveland. You know, he would take guys that were a few years away from free agency, buy them up for a few years, and, and, and control them for a few years beyond that. So extend them beyond, like, 2020, where you've got full control. But maybe take it on to um, uh, 2022 or 23. I mean, Stroman's a, a guy you would like to, I think you want to build your staff around. He's a gamer. Well, and just to, to add on to one thing that I think I touched on, the other part about this transition too that's, that's significant is that those guys like Vladimir Guerrero and Bolgoshet, the ones that we talk about being you know next generation people. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Vlad was signed by Alex Santopoulos. So we're talking yes. about you know we're talking about a, a fingerprint that's going to last at least a decade if all goes well. Um, so Anthopoulos is you know his mark on this team isn't going to go away. Even next year, it doesn't matter what the franchise does, unless, of course, they just like try to get rid of anything that had to do with them, which would be asinine when you're talking about guys like Guerrero and Bichette. But, uh, you know, that kind of that's, uh, that imprint's going to be there for a while. Here's my concern, and it stems from the fact that here we are talking about being patient. 
and fan expectations. And, and I look around in the city, and I see the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I see the Toronto Raptors, and the Argonauts, and TFC, and I see young, exciting, dynamic franchises from different sports that are all likable. Because likability is important when we decide how to spend our, you know, how to go after our disposable income dollars, where to put them. This team in the last calendar year has been profoundly unlikable in so many areas, not just in decisions that they've made, which have infuriated the hardcore enthusiasts, but also the decisions made on the field by players, things that were said, controversial moments. I mean, all you have to do is go back in the calendar year and you've got the Kevin Pillar incident the Roberto Osuna uh, incident, if you will. You have um, the Roy Halladay tragedy. You have Greg Zahn. In all four cases, there are great opinions as to how they were handled. And I think we can agree universally it's been handled poorly on all fronts. Maybe that's why so many good people lost their jobs on the public relations front, because clearly this organization is having a real challenge with its identity. What has to happen for this franchise to become more likable? I want to start with you, Ayanka, because I know that publicity and marketing relations, media relations is your speciality. What are your thoughts about this past year, both not just on the on-field product, but the way that the organization has endeared itself to fans at a time when it can ill afford to lose any? Yeah, you know, uh, the big part, the big the big thing that screams out in my head is, is raising the ticket prices. I don't think that was a great idea right now. Um, that, to me, although I do hear some people saying they're still going to get season tickets and, and hold out and have patience, you still might have lost some of the other people who were like, you know, you didn't really make any inroads last season, and you want to now pump the prices up. Um, but then on the other side, I look at things as, you know, they, I think the Jays um, are going to be having a pride night to, you know, obviously uh, support and recognize, you know, people who want to come out and their fans who are from the LGBT community. I think things like that are going to help them become relevant to their fans and also uh, gain new fans and show people that they are they are trying to be, you know, inclusive. They're, they're, they're trying to get fans from every walk of life. So on one hand, um, there's some work to do. Um, and on the other hand, you know, we're seeing initiatives like that. So I'm hoping that they can continue in that way where they are uh, appearing to be, you know, uh, doing things that are more inclusive to get, you know, new fans, to get all fans to really love the sport of baseball in Toronto. Toronto is a great city. It, it's a sports city. I used to live in Ottawa for a couple of years and, you know, people there were still wearing their Blue Jays hats, whether you were from Ottawa, Montreal and Torontonians that came down. We love our sports, um, but, you know, we invest, a lot of us invest in, in, in a, lo- a lot of different sports, um, you know, activities, whether it's the Raptors and ticket prices for the, the NBA and the Raptors have been going up too as well. So if they want us to pay more, then we're going to have to be treated, you know, uh, with respect, we're going to have to be treated in a way where we feel like, you know, uh, the teams that we stand behind stand behind some of the values that we have, which are equality, inclusiveness, and so forth. Um, and that that's probably going to go a long way for them to to really engage with fans and to 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 really, you know, uh, connect with the new generation of fans. One thing I will say in their defense, um, they do care about putting a decent product on the field. There's no question about that. Whether they've handled it well, the optics have not been good. But, you know, the, the worst thing about, you know, the, 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 the dark years between 94 and, um, say, two, the mid-2000s was just a complete indifference, especially when you had interbureau. Until Rogers took it over, I mean, you know, people forget about this, but I'm old enough to remember how bad it was. I mean, you, they, it's, it's, it's even more, indifference is even worse than... Um, you know, uh, not hating it or, or just abusing the fans. It, it was uh, like something that they, 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 this, this Belgian company inherited and didn't know what to do with. And, and they, that was the worst thing. Well, at least these guys are interested. You can see that when Shapiro talks about um, the product on the field and improve, improvements in the stadium, he cares about this stuff. He's a baseball guy. So in that sense, I do think um, that they've, they've, they're, they're in they're much better position than um, a lot of the others. And, you know, to your point about the Raptors, um, you know, that's an interesting model. I mean, it's a different sport. But, you know, Masai, in, in some sense, is doing what Brian Cashman did with the Yankees, which is that he's trying to rebuild on the fly. You know, he's got this core that's around for the next uh, three or four years. 
Um, but he's also got a complete second team now on the, on the bench that's full of young, exciting, pl- promising players with some good upside. And maybe that's um, a model for the, uh, the Blue Jays to follow. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. They've really tapped into their G League now, uh, you know, and the, those young players and the, the, the players who, you know, sometimes they say they're, they're the possibility for the future. Or I can't remember, there was one player that we had acquired at a really young age, the, the, NBA, the, the Raptors, and they were just saying that, you know, like he, he, was, he had potential, like we're, we're hiring potential. You know, uh, down the line, if it works or not, that's a gamble that you have to take when you, you acquire players. But I think the Raptors have done a great job with using those young players, as you, you noted, uh, from the G League or the young ones that are, uh, you know, playing for the Raptors every night who are more, you know, rookies and, and really using their athleticism their, and their talents. I mean, it, it's also good when, when those young guys aren't injured, right? The, the only thing I will say is that uh, the, the, the one thing you can say is that people like, you know, uh, if you want to take the various sports teams, you know, people like Shanahan or Masai Ujiri, they obviously have spent a lot of time in Toronto, either because they're from this area, like Shanahan, or like Masai, who worked before under Colangelo. And, and maybe, you know, you've still got a problem with um, Shapiro and Atkins. That they're, they were in Cleveland for a long time. So they're on, a little bit on the back foot. But look, I think they're learning, and I think they'll get better. I'm, 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 I'm prepared to cut them a bit more slack. I think when you're a, a two-time Major League Baseball Executive of the Year, you deserve that. So I, yeah. I don't think the question the question shouldn't be whether or not Mark Shapiro is capable or or qualified or has the will to do it. I believe he does as well. M- my concern is how this team goes after and demonstrates its resolve to the fans because fans are ultimately very impressionable that way. They like to see that we're in the running for talent or that we're in the running for for um, com- you know competitive uh, or postseason baseball. You know, there's this article here uh, that we've got on the Jays Journal website today, uh, written by some fellow named Chris Henderson, who talks about how we shouldn't cry over the Otani sweepstakes now that we know we've lost them. Chris, help me understand why Blue Jays fans shouldn't be furious that in the end we couldn't even make the Japanese Babe Ruth's shortlist, considering that we had certain unique characteristics that would normally have impressed the player. Yeah, it, it was absolutely a disappointment. But uh, I, I'm Ross Atkins came out in an interview last night, I believe it was, and, and he just said we were told by his representatives that we did everything within our power to, you know, to to solve the situation or to make the best presentation that they could, and I believe that to be the case. I mean, when you've got a guy like Otani who is just right away from, he's not even including the Yankees or the Red Sox on the short list. You know, so when we're talking about worldwide uh, famous teams, the Yankees would be right near the top, if not the top. But, you know, there's probably Manchester United is maybe ahead, but but um, you know, for him to just dismiss the Yankees shows me that that this is a player that is coming to the major leagues that um, that's not concerned about money. If he was, he'd wait another two years and make a hundred million. Uh, and he's not concerned about that marketability of New York, or he would he'd at least include them in a final pitch. So. As frustrating as it is for the Blue Jays to have missed out on an opportunity for a player like that, um, you know, there's only so much you can control when you've got a guy who's coming in playing for a minimum salary and you've got 29 other teams also pursuing him. And, uh, in the other, you know, in the other element of that article, just to, to go on just a little further, was um, I talked about how as much as I'm not – I don't want to convince anybody that, that he would be a liability, but, but he's going to be an experiment for whoever lands him. And it could be difficult to navigate the idea of trying to have a pitcher and a hitter within the same player. Uh, he only pitched once a week in in Japan last year, and he's going to have to join a, at least a, a five or six man rotation in the majors. So if the team has to adapt to the six man rotation, that's something that's uh, you know an additional responsibility for the team and the manager and the and the front office to navigate. And also, you're looking at um, you know with the Blue Jays, if if they had signed him and they want to give him DH at bats, then now you've you're trying to trade partner with Ken, for Kendris Morales, which is easier said than done. Uh, otherwise, you got him sitting on the bench, being basically useless. So, um, as much as it, like I've said a few times, as disappointing as it was, it uh, it's not the end of the world. You know what might be the end of the world is if we enter the 2018 baseball season with both Troy Tulowitzki and Devin Travis not nearly anywhere close to 100 percent. And uh, on the Jays Journal site, we've got an article by your uh, your friend and mine, Clayton Richet, our, our co-site expert, 
who uh, who wrote a piece called Blue Jays to Litsky Must Harness Rocky's Success. And I have to admit, it's extremely well written, but in some ways it seemed like I was reading a fairy tale because I don't know if we'll ever see Detroit (laughs) Litsky, who uh, was anywhere near uh, what we were used to when he was considered one of the top three players in the National League. Marshall, maybe start by giving me your opinion on... Is there any stock left for fans to feel that Troy Tulowitzki can come back and be not necessarily a top 10 shortstop, but at least a positive contributor at a time when this team will need him more than ever next year? Yeah, I, I, I think he could be a positive contributor. Um, but bear in mind that he's never been uh, the offensive force in Toronto that he was in Colorado um, right from, uh, from day one. Um, and everyone expected him to come back, but he never has. And that's despite the fact that, you know, Toronto is a, is a much more um, hitter-friendly ballpark than Coors Field was. Um, so I think that you have to um, assume that he's, um, he's, he's not ever going to be more uh, an offensive force again like he was before. And then the question becomes, can he um, uh, at least uh not be a, a defensive liability. I mean I think I think he's still fairly solid there and so um that's the best you could hope for. Maybe a, a, a two sixty uh, uh hitter with some power who um can give you a reliable uh d- defense. But um I, I, I think he and he's he's still got a lot of veteran leadership. But look I, I, I do think we were talking about this earlier with Ryan Goins. Um uh, getting Diaz, I think, was a, a, a very good, um, uh, a, a very shrewd uh, move by Ross Atkins. It's a, it's a kind of signature move that he likes to make. It's a low-risk, um, high-upside kind of deal. But they, they, they still do need a lot of um, middle infield uh, depth because I think um, it's, it's impossible to imagine, based on their uh, respective histories, that either Tulo or uh, Devin Travis will be able to play 150, 160 games next year. It's a tough one because Tulo is what thirty three, thirty four, and we talk about we talked about age earlier, and I mean that really uh, hurt the Blue Jays last season. You know that's what you know fans saw. Like we, we you know we had that that moniker or whatever you want to say that was attributed to us that we had one of the oldest teams in the league. So I, I'm not sure that we can sit back and, and, and you know, hope he, he'd be exactly at 100%. I think if he's healthy and not injured, you know, they use him where they can use him. Uh, Devin Travis is 26. So if he, you know, his injuries, he does, he has no injuries next season and he's healthy, maybe things might go a little bit better for him. But I think, uh, you know, the Blue Jays kind of have to deal with that age thing because that's kind of what, uh, you know, was, I don't want to keep on saying one of the headlines, but I mean, that's what fans kept on hearing. Like, you know, we, we need young guys. We need a healthy team. And, uh, you know, Tulo being 33, 34, that, that's a bit of a, that's a bit of a gamble in terms of athletes and, and uh, when they get to that point being over 30. Which is something to bear in mind with Josh Donaldson, you know, again. I mean, it sounds great. You re-sign him for the next couple of years. It's going to be wonderful. But everyone was really excited. We got too low as well. And uh, and they would have been really excited if we had signed Jose Bautista to a five-year deal back in 2015. But, um, boy, you know, things change in a hurry. Isn't there a, a distinction, though, between um, trading for a player who has an existing contract versus giving the player the contract? Shouldn't that be significant in determining whether or not you invested well? Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I guess I would argue that, look, um, they had to do, get to make that acquisition too low. I mean, even, even though it's, a, it's a, a contract that's like a millstone now, I mean, you, know, you couldn't have made the playoffs with a guy like Jose Reyes, um, in, in uh, playing shortstop, I mean, where every ground ball was an adventure. I mean, Tulo immediately solidified that. And and and, um, the, but the point is to 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 your point. Uh, you know, Josh Donaldson has been with the team, and he's one of your guys. And in, in that sense, I could see re-signing him. But bear in mind, when you do that, here's a guy you have control over. And um, uh, if, if you are re-signing him, and you're, you've got to accept that, you know, you're, you're saying to your fan base, okay, we said we wanted to get younger, but and there is a risk that this guy in his last couple of years, because we're paying him for past performance to some degree, will not be living up to the expensive terms of this contract. I mean, they won't say that publicly, but that's the uh, implicit um, deal that, you know, Blue Jays fans have got to recognize is going on here. And, um, you know, they, they may say, oh, sure, that's great. We still want to re-sign the guy. But um, and and I can understand why. But you know the 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 number of people this year that were complaining about Jose Bautista or Tulo or even starting to worry about Russell Martin a bit. You know that's something to bear in mind. 
Yeah, and to go back to your original question there too, Ari, you talked about. I like the wording that you uh, that you chose to use there was positive contributor. And I think that uh, as long as he's healthy and even can play a hundred games in a season, I think Tulowitzki can absolutely be a positive contributor. And uh, especially with depth like somebody like Diaz, you know, if he can mm-hmm. find some middle ground with the form that he had between 2016 and 2017, then I think he's a great depth piece. But I think the key with Tulowitzki, we talk, you know, he can be a positive contributor as much as he wants, but uh, where he's going to earn the ire of, uh, of the fan base is just the fact that he's making $20 million. And you kind of just touched on that sort of point there, Marshall. Um, mm-hmm. He's going to be making $20 million in 2018 and 2019, and then I believe he goes down to $14 million in uh, 2020, 2020, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, he's going to be expensive for a while. But I think the other point that you that you brought up for me there, uh, Marshall, was that he not only did he help the Blue Jays get to the playoffs and solidify that shortstop position, but he also got Jose Reyes out of out of Toronto, and that uh, yeah. has a great deal of trade value, whether people choose to remember that or not. Yeah, especially in light of his subsequent uh, domestic abuse uh, scandal. So there was always there, there that would have been a PR nightmare, let alone his defense, which was awful. But yeah. Yeah. So I'll never regret having acquired him, even if it means that we have to hold on to him as is likely until 2020. But that's, that's the right. price you have to pay. I mean, with free agents, the problem is unless you, you go with a core of young people and then acquire a few free agents at the end, this is what you're always, this is invariably what happens. You are, you are effectively paying peak dollars for past performance. And um, there's no guarantee that they're going to sustain that. And that's obviously the, the question. I mean, like, do you, do you go out and, and um, sign a Lorenzo Kane as an example? Uh, I mean, he looks like a, he'd be a perfect acquisition for what they need, speed, uh, uh, defense. But uh, he's at an age where that starts to uh, uh, deteriorate somewhat. And um, that's something you have to measure. Or do you do it through a a trade where you try to get someone like an Andrew McCutcheon. You know, these are the qu- kind of questions. So I'll, I'll be very interested to see what, they, the, what the, the team does over the next couple of months. And, and as Chris was saying earlier, um, now, once I think this uh, issue with um, Otani and, and Giancarlo Stanton are um, all taken care of, you're going to have um, a lot more activity and you'll have a lot better idea of what the, the Blue Jays' longer-term plans are. You could almost argue that the Blue Jays avoided a ticking time bomb with Jose Reyes, given his baggage given the way he approaches the game, not a serious baseball player. That was a great decision, obviously, a great trade at the time. Even though we knew that there would be future lamentation for the status of Troy Tillowitzki's contract. But the window was open. The window was taken. Now it's a, a brave new world where we have a president and a GM who demonstrated a track record for going after mid-tiered players effectively. They've shown that with acquiring Diaz and upgrading Goins. They've shown in going after Steve Pierce and Kendris Morales. Look, notwithstanding how it turned out, I think we can agree that at the time those players were acquired, the consensus was that's a sensible move. It's a, it's cost efficient, and there's a great upside. And so here we are now going into another year with that same philosophy. What can we do to get to make the moves to have that that upside where collectively the fan base can say, okay, we're one year away. From the the great brave uh, the the great young new future on the horizon, uh, you know we had um, Richard and Elias of the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network who were on my show last week and they talked about the top three prospects. We're waiting on Guerrero. We're waiting on Bo Bichette. We're waiting on Anthony Alford to turn into something. My question, and I want to start with you, Ainka, what happens as we wait with bated breath and great anticipation? if these prospects don't pan out right away and this city has to endure yet another year of mediocrity again as i mentioned earlier there are a lot of disposable income dollars at play you want to spend your money on something it's going to be on a winner if the bougies aren't winning and we have 12,000 15,000 strong showing up in july and august and september won't we essentially be witnessing a return of the aforementioned uh, uh, dark ages as marshall pointed out I really hope not. <laughs> mm-hmm. I try to. I, I'm. I try to stay optimistic. I mean, the challenges last year were that you know there were a lot of people getting injured. There were a lot of you know things happening that were out of their control, and we kept on you know overusing our bullpen, calling people up, and and you know stretching what or the, what we had like in terms of our players. So I really hope we're, we're not in that 
sort of uh, more of a scattered panic mode of, you know, let's use everybody. I think one night was, I don't know, was it Stroman that was batting? Like, you know, like it, all of the players had to, to, you know, some of them had to, to, to be in different positions. And we were really stretching our, 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 our roster. I'm hoping we're not in that same position. I hope that we're acquiring the right folks. We're bringing up whoever we need to bring up from the minors, making sure that they're ready and trained to, to play in the big leagues. And we have more of a game plan. I, I, I don't want to see us looking like, you know, it, it, was, it wasn't pretty. You know, we were just trying to pick, you know, calling up players and pick people to be in different field positions that weren't used to being there, but we needed them, right? We wanted, we wanted to see if shaking it up, I guess that way, uh, would get us a win. But I hope we're a little bit more controlled next season and have a little bit more of a, a plan than we had what we saw last year. But I don't want to say we're going to be back in the dark ages. I really, as a fan, I really hope we don't have to go back there. I don't think we will. Um, I, uh, the, the, the real question for the team this year is, you know, if you think the ingredients are there for one last real go, uh, and you don't say sign Donaldson, then maybe the answer is, um, you want to get a little bit faster. You get, a, instead of signing a Lorenzo Kane, you sign someone like a Jared Dyson. I think that was, there was a suggestion of that in, Jay, in Jay's journal. I'm not sure if you wrote that, Chris, or... Clayton, but uh, you know you get a lot of the speed, and and he might be a useful platoon player with um, with Steve Pierce in, in left field, um, and then you get let some of these other guys like uh, 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 an, an Alfred or a Teoscar Hernandez uh, um, offer you some backup. I mean, one point that that um, Ross Atkins made in an earlier interview that I heard was that you do have a lot more um, major league ready depth in the tri- AAA system, which you didn't have. Last year, so that if something happens to a, a Tudowitzki or a Travis, you know, you do have um, uh, someone like a, a, a Richard Urena who can come up now and and and, and make a difference, and um, and you do have a, a a little bit more depth with with Teoscar Hernandez and uh, and Anthony Alford. So I don't see them coming back. The, the real question is, um, you know, what you do in the year following that, where I think they've got like eight signed players, and that's where I think you could see a, a major statement about what the team wants to do and what, what, where the reconstruction is going to go. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, I think that's a real fear going back to the original point there with the, uh, if, uh, if Guerrero and Bichette and Alfred, and these guys don't, don't develop the way that, that uh, everybody expects them to. I think it's a real fear just because it, it will set back the franchise a bit, depending on how, how the, how the front office chooses to approach this off season. They, you know, if they decide to spend some money and, and, Say they go out and sign a Lorenzo Kane or a Jake Arrieta. Um, those are the kind of pieces that will define the next generation, with or without Guerrero and Bichette. Um, so, but they may. I, I do think they're going to take a bit more of a conservative approach this off season. I, you know, I think a guy like Ice. That wasn't me that wrote that article, by the way. And thank you for remembering. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think a guy like Dyson, or you know, the short-term pieces do make sense while still investing. People maybe don't want to hear that. Uh, you know, the, the one- or two-year contracts or those mid-tier acquisitions like you talked about, Ari, um, that's not usually the sexiest option or the sexiest thing to talk about when it comes to off-season plans. But for the way that this roster is constructed, I think it's probably the most prudent uh, approach for the short term anyway, as far as filling the, the holes that are there. And then if you want to take the major money or the money that you actually do have and re-sign to Donaldson or extend and buy out some arbitration years from Stroman, I think those are moves too that uh, you have to look at. Well, and only time will tell, and uh, there's no question that um, the next few weeks in particular will be heavily scrutinized, especially with the winter meetings on the horizon and a fresh new year to peel over something that will hopefully be a lot better than what 2017 in totality was for so many reasons. Let's, uh, let's wrap up this fantastic roundtable by, go- by um, going around and uh, talking about what you've all been up to. Let's start with you, Ainka. I took a look at your Twitter feed. I love the fact that on the She's for Sports Twitter feed, you talk about how it's a fresh look at sports, women in sports, and it's way better than your boyfriend's sports feed. Why don't you tell our listeners about She's for Sports? <laughs> I, wanted to, I actually wanted to add, sorry, I wanted to add something to one of your... Uh, earlier questions about the the Rogers and the Blue Jays and just uh you know their 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 image and and how they're they're connecting with fans and I know you slightly touched on Greg Zahn and I don't want to talk about it too much but mm-hmm. I I think what we're going to see now you know we're seeing across industries 
issues of sexual harassment, issues of, uh, you know, gender diversity, uh, issues of, of discrimination, uh, you know, against women. And, uh, you know, I've read some articles that said, well, you know, sports has always been an old boys club and it's, it's finally coming uh, this way. You know, it, it, this, this, the, the, the bigger issue is going to impact every industry. And I think for, from a, a marketing or publicity standpoint, companies really have to, to look at, you know, what their policies are, what their code of conduct is, you know, who they're hiring, um, because community fans, they're watching. So, you know, if the, the Blue Jays can can address that and work on that, I mean, I'm sure Greg Zon's on the, you know, there may be, there may be others that, you know, we might be hearing about, or maybe there could be other women who work in sports, who work with guys who um, have emulated some of the unfortunate uh, attitudes that Greg Zon has. Um, you know, I, I'm hoping that outside of it, just being a discussion around the industries, that there there will be some change and there will be some policies and then there will be some some core action so that, you know, young women or women who want to work in sports don't feel deterred by what's happening now from, you know, taking up a job in sports or wanting to be in that industry. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. But I wanted to add that in. I'm really glad you did. That was extremely well said. And uh, between you and I, I, I started getting worried when... Uh, there was a TV personality who called himself the Manalist. That was my tip-off that something was going awry, quite frankly, when it came to Greg Zahn. Uh, and there's no question that uh, I believe there was an apology today. I have yet to really sit down and read it, but something tells me from initially looking at it that I'm not going to be very pleased. It just looks like another very kind of corporate shell-like, hollow, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's type apology. But um, It was. You know, it, it was, and that's really disappointing because uh, even getting a pulpit for that seems to be propagating, like you mentioned, I think, a lot of the bad habits and bad attitudes that are permeating in, in corporate pro sports, and it doesn't seem to be improving. Yes, we're more aware of it, but now we need to see action, and this is, I think, where the Blue Jays have a real opportunity to show yeah. some leadership when it comes to how their fans perceive them because the younger generation that ultimately are the most impressionable. Not, not old folks like us, not people who are either, you know, Gen Y, Gen Xers growing up and trying to be successful in this world, but those who don't even know what the margin for success is. And this is not the kind of benchmark they need to feel hopeful about the future. Well, that, that was yeah, a cynical note, as I could have added I was going to say, I, I totally agree, and I'm sure that you <laughs> could probably have another another podcast on the issue. But, um, you know yeah, what? I think they, this is, they have an opportunity to, to be a part of, to change like you know you you you're hearing a lot of people saying they don't want to be on the wrong side of change they want to be on the right side of change well then you get on the right side by uh putting in some actions behind what you're saying and not just having a press release or someone saying sorry like what are you guys going to do so that this type of environment doesn't isn't there for as you said the the, the women who are working there now or the next generation who wants to work in sports who you know who are yeah. women um, or even men. I mean, we've heard across industry that there, you know, there have been men who have been uh, harassed or abused and had yes. experiences, and that's why we're seeing the Me Too hashtag. Um, you know, it has to be a complete overhaul. It has to be people really looking at, um, you know, how are they conducting business? What environments are they putting people in? And what opportunities are they creating to have these discussions, change things, and make sure that everybody has a, a voice in this? Everybody, you know, we all want equality. It's not a women's issue. It's not a men's issue. It's everybody's issue. And, it, and you know, they all have to be at the table for, for change to, to take place in, in, in these companies. Brilliantly put. Marshall, Amen. I know you've got... I know that you need to, 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 to scoot really quickly, so why don't I start with you? Tell my listeners what you've been up to and how they can find you on social media. Well, uh, they can find me on Twitter at Mauerback, um, and my, what I'm trying to do now is, uh, uh, as a Canadian uh, living in New York City, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to uh, cope with uh, being down here in the age of Trump and each day contemplating, uh, looking further uh, at the 49th parallel, wondering whether I should be making my way, my way back to the, uh, the safety of, the, uh, of my home and native land. So, <laughs> Very good. Well, listen, I don't want to keep you because I know you have to go. Uh, if you want to head, head out, I'll then continue on with, uh, with quickly. With yeah, Duncan. no disrespect to Chris, uh, uh, my favorite well, man on Jay's journal, but okay, right. Thanks. Uh, uh, thanks. An another one, eh? You're not the first one to say that, by the way. And certainly not the last. No, <laughs> well, you know, quality always drops the ice to the top, so there you go. Oh. 
Well, <laughs> you got me blushing. Thank I you, sir. Pleasure chatting with you. I appreciate okay, it. Okay, cheers. Okay. Cheers. Bye. Okay, let's um, let's now. Uh, so yeah, let's wrap this up because I know you both probably have a lot of things to do as well, and it's eight o'clock. So I'll, I'll wrap up with Ayinka because I want her to give a very uh, uh, focused plug on She's for Sports. Chris, why don't you tell our listeners some of the recent articles you've been working on, what you've got on the horizon, and where they can find you on social media? Yeah, absolutely. You can uh, always find me on social media. My handle is Baseball for Brains. It's Baseball Number Four and Brains. And uh, I have daily pieces that go up uh, on jaysjournal.com. I've been uh, writing like a madman this off-season, and I've got a few different ideas that are sitting in the queue. But uh, we talked about quite a few different articles that I've written recently. And, you know, as much as it's been a quiet off-season with the player acquisition front, uh, there's been a lot going on, and uh, there's going to be a lot more coming down the pipe. So uh, please, uh, be sure to stay tuned to the website and uh, check out my work and the work of everybody else that's at the website. Absolutely, and you do find work, my friend. Keep it up. I, I don't know how you do it, considering you have like four different day jobs sometimes and all the great things you do. Keep up the great work. Ayinka, give our listeners a chance to appreciate what you've been up to lately with She's Four Sports, maybe yeah. some upcoming events that you've got, and how they can find you across the great cyber social media. Yes, experience. you can find us. Um, at She's for Sports. So it's at the at sign, obviously, and She's, S-H-E-S, the number four, and sports. Um, if you put that in online, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, we're on Instagram. Um, yes, and uh, on YouTube. So uh, we just wrapped up our last event with CBC Sports, where we uh, had a panel. We had women in sports from the Raptors. We had Teresa Reach. I believe she's the VP of Player Development. We had, um, uh, who else did we have? We had someone from the, the Blue Jays Foundation, the Jays Foundation, um, talking about uh, their non-for-profit and what they do. We had uh, a, a radio broadcaster, uh, um, Kayla Gray from TSN Radio, and much more. So if you go on YouTube, you'll see the, the whole uh, video clip of the event. And, you know, going forward for the future, we're still continuing to post great content about women in, in sports and, and sports trends and what's going on across the different leagues uh, to keep people up to speed on what's going on out there. And we're also holding events. So, you know, tune in for next year. We'll have some exciting things coming up for everybody. And, uh, yeah, we're continuing to move forward. We've launched last year, so we're still, uh, you know... Um, I guess we're, I won't say a baby, but we're still we're still new. But uh, we're I'm appreciating all of the great reception I've gotten from people about launching the network and uh, why it was needed, and, and you know to provide women with a, a safe space to talk about sports and to give them a voice. Wonderful. Be sure to check that out. You've been listening to Chris Henderson, Marshall Auerbach, and Ainka Jeffs. I'm your host Ari Shapiro. Thanks for tuning in tonight on the Roundtable at Jay's Journal Podcast.